Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This program is brought to you by IG. Trade over 12,000 shares and ETFs, including major tech giants with extended hours on an award-winning platform. IG, where traders are made. G'day and welcome to The Call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It's is Friday, March the 1st. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great that you could join us here at Ausbiz and our two experts on the show. Grady Wolf from Bell Direct and Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Welcome to both of you. March the 1st, here we are. And when you know it, we're at the end of earnings season. Thank How good's that? I know, it's been a big <laughs> earnings season. And... Breathing a sigh of relief, i got to say that we made it to the end. Yeah. Um, Grady, what, what, what's your take out? And, and perhaps with a focus on the small caps, because we're going to get quite a few today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was a really interesting reporting season. We saw a lot of investors very reactive to both good and bad results. Our brokers were more reactive on the downgrades than they were on the upgrades. So that was really interesting to see. The expectations were obviously too high. Um, a lot of the companies that had exposure to China, it was a really vast, a really varied mixture, really. So like A2 Milk's really soaring there. And then you have BHB impacted by obviously China's uh, lack of demand for iron ore. So that was one interesting factor. And then some retailers absolutely mm. shone through. And one of them we're talking about today. So it's uh, it's been a really eventful reporting season. But uh, nonetheless, it, make, it paves the way for a really interesting second half. Luke, what, what are your thoughts, um, given we're now at the end? And, and once again, um, given this is your space too in smalls, just um, what uh, how you thought they performed? I agree with um, Grady there, Andrew. Um, it was volatile. Uh, you saw, you know, 20 to 30% swings on certain stocks, um, both ways, positive and negative. And, and look, you get that every reporting season, and maybe I'm a victim of the moment here, but um, it, it felt even more volatile than normal this time around. Um, and a lot of that's exacerbated by liquidity, which is still low across the whole market. But you come down into the, the micro and small caps, um, and, and there's some stocks which, which barely even trade at all. So when you get these liquidity events around reporting, you see some very outsized moves either way. Um, on the whole, I thought reporting season was okay at a company level. Um, a lot of companies are still trying to get to grips with inflation and cost control, but those that did were, were pretty well rewarded by the market, particularly if they still had some revenue growth at the top line. Um, you know, something like a Reese comes to mind with modest revenue growth, but, but really good cost control, and it was up 20, 30%. So, um, you know, the market was happy to reward some stuff, but certainly, uh, like Grady, stuff was, it was taken out of the back shed and punished quite severely. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> if you missed expectations. As you would expect to, uh, given also where the market is at the moment, um, I guess there's no, uh, well, I mean, records everywhere at the moment falling, uh, although actually the local market has gone the opposite direction today. Now, let's uh, take a look at what we're going to be focused on uh, more broadly today. Our five stocks in the first half, Whitehaven Coal, Mater Group, McGrath, Rural Funds and Polynovo. Now, our stock of the day, one of the last to report, Life360. Uh, it has paired its annual loss on a 33% jump in annual revenue, saying it expects to generate additional income in 2024 as it allows advertisers to target its users. This as it launches partner advertising, which it expects to have modest revenue contribution in the second half after some setup costs in the first. No dividend declared, and Life360 Chief Executive Chris Hull saying the proof is in the pudding that the company's slow and steady march forward is growing users. In urban areas, yes, Apple has big market share, but internationally, Android accounts for 70% of phones, and Apple does not do cross-platform products, and we have a huge number of our users on Android or in mixed phone families, and that's when I say there really isn't anybody other than us that has that cross-platform piece with the hardware, with the software. So that, for both of those reasons, we feel that Apple, they're going to be there and it's going to be good enough for some people. But if you're running a family, if you are the family organizer, there really is no other choice but Life360. Now, that was in response to my question, just um, asking Chris there whether there is any concern. And this has been, I guess, for as long as 360 has been around, that why wouldn't a company the size of Apple, given what it does, would just come in and offer a similar sort of product? Well, that, that was his response, that um, they have a family focus and 70% of the international market is on Android, not Apple, and they don't have the cross-platform, whereas Life360 offers that. So... Well, look at that. The market response today has been stellar, up 33% off the back of those numbers. So let's see what our experts have to say. And Luke, what are your thoughts then? I'm quite angry. She doesn't have her usual sparring partner. Um, how is Holman? Because <laughs> there's a, a points victory today, uh, Gray. This is, a, this is a very good result. And, and you yeah, know, the Sorry, Luke, we're going to just have to, sorry, sorry, why not start again? We just had some audio problems there. So let's, why don't you start again just in terms of your analysis? Yeah, sorry, you got me? Yep. All good? Yep. Yep, cool. Um, yeah, last time I was on, I made that point that Chris Hull's um, sort of highlighted, which my worry was, you know, is, is your product someone else's feature? And, and Apple is the obvious one with the ecosystem they want to create around Apple. Um, and I think that's a very good answer from him. And, and to be honest, it resonates with me because that's exactly my family. I mean, I have an Android phone. My wife has an Apple. So, you know, if we were to look at a product like uh, like that, Life360 is probably the, the one we would have to use. Um, you know, the, the, the metrics around the business just continue to march on. Um, revenue metrics, recurring revenue, paying users, um, average revenue per user, moving into the international markets quite strongly, off low bases, but you know the growth rates are quite strong. Um, you know, I think what has got the market excited is again another strong half of, of cost control, where, where their operating costs only went up by about four percent. So you know that strong revenue growth is really starting to hit the bottom line. Um, still loss making. Um, you know, my friend Howard would point that out that if you look at a statutory result, it's still loss making. But um, you know, cash flow positive when you when you sort of factor in that a lot of their costs are share based payments. So you know, the cash balance is growing and. 
based on the guidance they gave, there's a, there's a fair chance they could actually hit um, EBITDA profitability uh, even before the share-based payments this year. So um, the valuation's hard to get your head around. It's 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 right up there now at, at you know 1.7 billion. That's you know that's that's getting expensive. But when I, when I look at the growth and I look at the trajectory, um, again, I think you have to as best as you can mitigate it for those Apple Google risks. But um, the metrics that they're putting out and the leverage they're seeing, um, this is a valuation that that would not look too silly in a few years if they're able to keep Etsy in the way they are. So I'll say hold, Andrew. I, I thought this was a good result. Yep. Okay. Great. Again, Luke, uh, nice of you to point out that <laughs> Howard, my normal sparring partner, is not here. I will agree they are loss making still. So Howard would have absolutely come at me with that one. But um, all in all, great result today. The market has responded very positively. Luke touched on all the key points there. So I completely agree with everything he said. Um, the thing that I like the most about this company is the monthly active users are continually growing. They have not experienced a period where they've gone backwards at all. So that shows that switching rates between competitors, between Apple, Amazon, Google, all of these companies is really low. So once you get them in the business at Life360, they're sticky, which is great. And I also love the fact that the company has continued double-digit growth and revenue, which is a very, very positive uh, positive outcome. And they also have subscription revenue. So as we saw during COVID-19, a lot of the tech companies that didn't have annual recurring revenue or subscription models really, really suffered. So with a company like this, they've been the subscription for a long time. They also increased prices last year. So that's now reflected in the full year results. Um, and that is often a way that companies uh, either really see an exodus of their customer base or get the customers accept it, which in this case, customers have accepted it and continue to charge forward with Life360. So I love this company. Um, it is quite expensive. It's been on a run. So I would go with a hold right now uh, just because of its, obviously it's on a run and massive run today. But yeah, it's a company that I would definitely have in my portfolio. All right, so that is a double hold on Life360. And yeah, Luke, like you, uh, I'm a sucker for it. Got it on my phone. It's all about spying on the kids, it seems. <laughs> or them spying on you. Well, yeah, there's a bit of that as well. At least, you know, the wife wanted to know where I am. I know where you are. Why are you at that bar? Um, she can do that immediately. <laughs> anyway, obviously, there's a lot of growth in that area, uh, particularly for families. All right, so let's um, move on now to the stocks as picked by you. First one, uh, picked by Bianca, is Whitehaven Coal, uh, producer of that premium quality metallurgical coal uh, with uh, development in uh, those mines in New South Wales and Queensland. Uh, last, well, it's results, no dividends. Um, yeah, I guess that's reflecting those lower coal prices that we've seen. Uh, Grady, what are your thoughts then on Whitehaven? Yeah, Whitehaven, we've actually upgraded recently from a sell to a hold. Now, last time I was on the show talking about this, a viewer um, was not apparently happy with me saying dirty coal doesn't play into the the green energy transition, which is fine, but um, it doesn't. But also we've actually upgraded to a hold because of the fact that the company, last time I said they need to diversify into metallurgical coal. It's exactly what they're doing. And that's a huge projection of growth for the way forward for us. And it really puts them back on the uh, investment train for a lot of investors who were seeing that their coal, uh, their, their thermal coal assets were kind of pulling them down as the as the world transitions away from coal and um, other forms of energy that are known as dirty. I'm very careful about saying dirty now. Um, but in the same time, the company is really looking to project themselves into and explore growth into the metallurgical coal, which is the key ingredient in steel. So we're expecting a turnaround in steel as China has the material stimulus coming for their property sector. Naturally, this will drive demand 
for the metallurgical coal assets and they've just bought two more off uh, two more in Queensland and so that just goes to show they're really exploring their diversification in the coal front so really like that um, their results were a beat on most of Bell Potter expectations so that's also a very good result um, and we expect the acquisitions to of the mines in Queensland to be completed by April this year and obviously works can can start from then so uh, it is a very strong company it's a very good company and we also uh, obviously upgrade uh, to a hold simply because of their diversification which we saw as a very positive note okay so that's a hold from yeah. you then on Whitehaven Luke um, I'd have it as a hold as well. Um, it is it is worth pointing out that the thesis that sort of um, really boosted Whitehaven through that 2022 period has changed a little bit with the big acquisition of the BHP uh, metallurgical assets. Um, you know, rewind a couple of years, and obviously they were getting an insane price for their thermal coal and, and, and spitting out cash. But more importantly, they were returning that cash to shareholders. So a lot of people were attracted to Whitehaven for the capital returns and the dividends. Um, that's now changed. So this latest report, you know, there was a, a very small almost token dividend uh, mostly because the cash that they have and the cash they will generate from their existing assets um, needs to go to the the funding of the of the BHP acquisition so um, I'd have it as a whole just because the valuation is still quite reasonable um, and I, I think you take on some executional risk now about bringing two new mines into the business now they are operating mines I'm not saying anything goes wrong there but you know you have to bring them onto your systems um, get all the employees across which they said most of the employees like 95% of the employees are have already signed agreements to come across to Whitehaven, uh, but little things like that. I think it's it's right just to just to sit back, hold it if you're there. But if you're, otherwise, if you're on the sidelines, just wait and, and, and see for the completion of those acquisitions. Maybe the first um, couple of uh, production reports. Make sure things are going smoothly. Um, and if they do, I think that valuation starts to come down again once the the metallurgical assets start contributing to the bottom line. So um, I agree with this with Greg on this one. This one's a hold, a double hold, in fact, for Whitehaven Coal. Actually, Greg, let me pick you up. So you started there by saying you're criticised because you called dirty. Yeah. But, I mean, let's face it, look, that's the way it's viewed. It is. Um, it's and, not a great word, dirty word, but... But, but with, <laughs> through the ESG uh, yeah. prism, I guess, as so many more investors yeah. look at that, Absolutely. do you think is, that is a, an issue that these companies really have to deal with? How 100%. are they going to attract particularly the retail investor? Exactly. And also a lot of fund managers now won't touch certain uh, certain companies, alcohol, tobacco, coal. Like there's a lot that will literally not even consider them, mm. even if they're the best companies in the market, because ESG is a rising concern for a lot of investors and fund, fund managers. So I did say dirty coal. I will back it. Coal does add greenhouse gases to our climate and it's contributing to climate change. So, but diversification well, is dirty, looking just good. Say maybe not clean. Okay, I'll say right. not clean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, let's move on to our second stop before we uh, get hit with that one. Uh, <laughs> that being Mater Group, picked uh, by Perry. It's mining services, essentially. Uh, it deals in uh, providing specialised contract labour for maintenance, particularly with heavy mobile equipment in the resources sector, not just here, but across Asia, Africa, and also in the Americas as well. Luke, what are your thoughts then, Mater Group, in with, uh, what, just looking at first half revenue, up about 34% on the year? 
yeah, business is doing really well. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I have to start the program with three holes, Andrew, but um, <laughs> like the, the other conversation um, on Life360, it's just the valuation for this one. Like, the business is fantastic. Um, they've clearly developed, um, uh, you know, a, a moat around the service they offer, um, you know, which is, is servicing heavy vehicles for, for, for mining and heavy industry. Um, and that's the sort of industry where you really struggle to see how a business could develop that. But, you know, from the outside looking in and the results that have been able to achieve over the last 10 or 10 odd years, um, they've done the very hard thing, which is to, to get a moat around culture. Um, it's one of the hardest things to create for businesses. But when you get a good one, you know, that's the sort of share price chart you see. Um, so you look at their reports and, of course, the financial numbers all look great. But, uh, you know, one of the things I, I took from it was this is a business that gives their average age of employee. Now, that's not something you, of, you often see. Um, and it skews towards sort of 30 to 40 year olds, you know, younger people um, who, who bring that sort of infectious mater attitude. And they often talk about the different programs, um, employee wellness programs and, and uh, trips around the world and things like that they do as well. So um, they, they've created that nice flywheel effect of people want to go and work for mater. They then win more work and, and the business performs quite well in the background. As I said, it's the valuations the only thing that holds me back. 28 times earnings is, is pretty expensive for this sort of business. Uh, but I'd keep it as a hold just because of the, the growth, the quality, um, and really just start to scratch North America, which, you know, we know the size of that compared to um, compared to Australia. So hold for this one. But again, kudos to the team. I think they've created a really good, really good culture and a really good business. All right. Um, yeah, North America, really hard market to crack. So it'd be interesting to see how it tracks on that respect. Grady, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with everything that Luke said, but I, we actually have it as a buy rating mm. right now with a price target of $7.60. Now, this company is a leader for specialised contracting and maintenance in the mining sector. I'm not sure about you, but I'm seeing more and more explorers and miners jumping on not only the ASX, but in general across the board, there are unlisted companies as well. So the growth in mining in the world is phenomenal and it's only going up from here. So that's the kind of been the underpinner and the driver for a group like Meta Group to continue with their uh, really strong results. Um, their group revenue was up 34% year on year. Um, they've seen NPAT up 38% so profitable, which is a big tick in this industry. Um, the company also, as Luke touched on it they've just scratched the surface in North America but the profitability there is on the rise and so that just goes to show there's huge potential in that market also in Canada which we know has a lot of the hard rock lithium it has the biggest the world's biggest asset of hard rock lithium I think that's at the hands of Patriot battery metals and so that just goes to show there's so much potential there and so if they're securing these contracts as Luke said have a really good culture really people want to work for them I want to work for them given they're flying people around the world so I'll be going there in a heartbeat (laughs) but um, no I'm not leaving Bells I love Bells but um, yeah they're, they're paying down their debt at the same time they've got good cash balance they're a really strong company and they've also um, reaffirmed their uh, guidance for NPAT and revenue for FY24. So with that in mind, there is, is still growth on the horizon and, uh, yeah, we really like the company. So, Like it to the point where you're willing to slap a buy on it. All willing right. to slap a buy. There you go. That is Mater Group. Let's now move on into a property with uh, McGrath. This one picked by Ben, residential real estate services company, uh, including property sales, of course, management, and mortgage broking and auction services at the same time. Has the full suite in residential property. Um, actually, I didn't have a chance to take a look at the results, but just in the past month, 
uh, its share price has taken off. So, um, Grady, how do you view it then? I actually, we don't cover this company, first of all, but did a bit of research and looked into it. I actually prefer elders because of their scope and their more conglomerate nature in this industry. Um, The thing about McGrath is that I think they're underrepresented out of New South Wales. So it's a very concentrated market in New South Wales and Queensland. Um, They, their most recent results, it's, we're in a rental crisis right now. So you'd assume that they're, they'd be making the most of higher margins and higher rental prices and low vacancy rates, but their revenue fell 6%. And their companies' uh, properties under management fell 31%. Mm. So that's not a really impressive mark or result given what the housing crisis we have right now across Australia. So that's a bit confusing. I was a bit unsure why the results were in that way given the rental crisis that we have. Um, They have a strong cash balance, but they also, and they increase the number of offices. the company-owned offices, but franchises fell. So again, mixed results that were a little bit confusing, but uh, in this time, they should be doing a bit better than 6% revenue falling. It is a competitive market. It is a saturated market. I do understand that. There's so many providers in the New South Wales region, but uh, yeah, it's it's probably, I'd say, given it's been on a run, I'd take some profits um, because of obviously the share price we saw has been up quite significantly. Um, So yeah, I'd probably sell. Sell or trim yeah. at the very trim, least. Trim, trim, take some profits. Okay, all right, Luke. Um, I'll be more positive, Andrew. I'd have this one as a buy. I actually came on to the small caps program with Nadine um, and said it was uh, one of my uh, picks for the small cap reporting season. Um, so um, Grady's right. You look at the headline numbers here and, and you see revenue going backwards and um, that doesn't make sense because the property market has held up quite well and, and you've seen a recovery in listings. Now, the reason why that's happening is because McGrath is slowly pivoting their business model away from company-owned stores to franchising. Um, so what that means is that they take less of the overall revenue um, but obviously you know um, they're just collecting some higher margin franchise fees um, so I think from a network point of view the company's still doing well and you see that um, in in their like total transactions or, or turnover um, and and where you see the effect of that transition from company to franchises is the margin so you know they, they tripled net profit in this result and, and, and EBITDA which um, you know net profit had some some tax in there but even EBITDA was up 50 odd percent so although this is a really good result it trades on about 11 times earnings, um, a 6% dividend yield. But the last three years, they've actually had um, special dividends. So um, and given the cash balance and the trajectory, I, I think there could be could be potential for more of that. So um, I'm, I'm actually pretty positive on this. I think there's a good outlook. Um, obviously, you keep your finger on the pulse of Sydney property, as Brady points out. They're still heavily exposed to Sydney in particular. Uh, but they are trying to move away and go into Queensland and Victoria through that franchise model, which makes it a lot easier too. So um, I'm pretty positive on this, and I'll say it's mm. a buy. Well, if you can't make a buck in Sydney property, then something's up, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> What's the? Is it a, is it a um, four million median house price or something uh, in the, yeah, the North no, it's, Shore? It's, uh, <laughs> I'll be renting forever. Mind box. Well, exactly. If you're not in the market, then woe is you. You're not going to be. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, got to look uh, further afield. All right, let's um, move on to our next one, which is rural funds uh, picked by Matt. It is, uh, well, it's in real estate, but uh, obviously with a focus on rural properties with a diversified portfolio of agricultural assets, the lessor of ag property uh, with that to revenue derived from leasing uh, with such as almond orchards, macadamia, uh, poultry, uh, cattle as well. So it is uh, very diversified. Also water rights, importantly. Um, Luke, give us your view on rural funds. 
Yeah, it's a tricky business. I mean, you're right. They've got some some really good assets and some really good strategic assets. And I'm sure that, you know, the valuation that they have them on the balance sheet, which I, I think went up another 9% um, over the last year, um, is, is probably pretty accurate in the sense of if they were to sell those assets, they could get prices close to those book values. Now, the market trades it at a pretty big discount to that book value. Um, I think it's about $3 uh, book value to, to the $2 share price. Um, I think the main reason for that is, you know, despite the assets, um, you know, the, the valuation of the assets themselves, uh, the business doesn't spit out a great deal of, of, of free funds that then come through in the form of distributions to shareholders. So it still only trades on about a 5.6% yield, um, despite that big discount to NTA. Um, you know, it is a complex business. It was hit by a short report a few years ago. Um, in the end, I think that short report missed the mark. Um, you know, there was there's no fraud or anything like this behind the business. Uh, but it, to me, it also signals it's it's a complicated business to the sense that, you know, there's a lot of trust in the management accounts here. And I think that's fair. And, and they've shown that they can be trusted, you know, coming through the uh, from that short report. But it doesn't change the fact that it is very hard to get a feel for exactly what's going on. And um, as you said, exposed to those sort of agricultural commodities, which very rarely is every every one of them performing well at once. You know, cattle might be pulling back while almonds is doing well, and yeah, mm. things often move and move and shake around. So I'll have a hold on this. Um, again, I think the assets are worth what they say they are, but just because of that yield, if that was a bit higher, I think I could be more bullish on it. But around five point six, I think it's just a hold. Yep. Okay. Ready. I actually love this company. Um, there's a few reasons why. So I presented it in a conference recently as it's a really good, uh, provides, pays a really good dividend. So the dividend yield is 5.87 quarterly, distribution is about 6% yield. So it's looking, it's a very strong dividend um, paying company and they're really focused on that. And so for anyone who's income investing, this is one that you'd consider. Now they have um, a lot of assets in their portfolio. So obviously have the, the land value there. Um, some of their tenants are actually listed companies so treasury wine estates um select harvest proforma those kind of companies i think select just got taken over though did they i don't know mm. someone i think they might have but again this they're one of their um tenants on their properties and when you're looking at a REIT stock that has agricultural land you look at the weighted average lease expiry so the weighted average lease expiry is around normally around five to eight years. For this company, it's actually 12 or 13.9 years. So that's annual recurring revenue, that's guaranteed revenue. And a lot of the um, contracts and the leases that they sign, the, com the company sign, are linked to inflation. So inflation has been rising. So obviously that naturally means the price of rent on these properties is rising as well. So that's a really big tick for a company like this. Obviously inflation is coming down, but they still have the stable income coming through of weighted average lease expiry of companies on their land for at least 13.9 years on average. So it goes above that, below that as well. Um, we also like the fact that their results were pretty good. So revenue up 16% that beat Bell Potter expectations. And across the board, they their AFFO includes that they had a net loss, obviously. So that wasn't a great outcome. But looking forward, we're seeing cattle, almond and macadamia prices rallying off the lows we've experienced recently. So again, that brings back up the um, the outlook for the company. But again, they've also got this own, their own property that developing recently and it's from a macadamia farm to lease out to a, to a company who wants to run it but not sure about you i don't buy macadamias at the at woolworths or coles because they are so expensive so the margins made on macadamias for a company like this are huge so again this drives revenue um yeah a company like this really love it yeah okay yeah, buy rating 
All right. And a price target of two forty. <clears throat> Particularly for those who like macadamias. Yes. No, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little further down the nut scale. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm an almond, a raw yes. almond girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're still benefiting though if you're in rural funds as yeah. a result. Um, okay, so sorry, that was a bu- buy. Buy. Yeah, yeah. buy. Okay. Price target two forty. All right, good one. Okay. Uh, Speaking of diversity, we've certainly got it with some of our stocks. So now we're heading into Polynovo. It is uh, picked by Jenna, development of innovative medical devices for mm-hmm. you know, a variety of medical applications there. Um, first half sales um, up around 55%. A lot of new hospital accounts they've managed there. And uh, it's uh, looking to expand to, to beyond its, uh, where it's sitting at the moment, particularly uh, the uh, well, it's actually doing better outside of the US, isn't it? I think, but Grady, yeah. I'll let you explain. Yeah, absolutely. We just recently downgraded this one to a hold simply and only because of the share price rally it's been on. So we just see it's a little bit overvalued right now, and obviously, you can see there it's a huge jump recently. But the company has absolutely risen to the top. They're in the healthcare division, in the healthcare sector. You really want to look at a company that is making money. This company is definitely making money. It's in a niche environment of wound care for the burns and trauma victims and um, any obviously open wounds on the skin. Uh, the company has really done well recently in uh, they've kind of got more contracts expanding into the US, Middle East, Europe, all these different areas. And that's through um, it more than tripled over the last year. So that's incredible. And it just goes to show that with their name and their uh, market share and their market leadership in the burns industry, with their wound care for BTM or Novazorb, um, it just shows that it's becoming the trusted name in wound care. So, again, massive tick for Polynovo. Um, We expect the company also recently updated that they're doing some more clinical trials for the expansion of their product into other treating other wounds. Um, one of them they've put on hold at the moment, which is the trial of diabetic foot ulcers. So they didn't see that was viable enough right now to continue, um, which is really good because a lot of healthcare companies will continue burning cash, throwing money at these clinical trials, and they just don't get the result they need to get to go to market. The really smart thing Polynova has done is said, no, nah, not, it's not viable right now. We'll continue doing what we're doing. So that is a huge tick. But yeah, so a hold rating. We love the company, just a hold rating because of other um, strength at the moment in the share price. Okay, Luke. Um, I'd have it as a hold as well, Andrew, and, and same reason. I think at, at $1.6 billion valuation, there's a lot baked in here. Um, now, when you look at their result the other day, I think they did 2 million net profits, something like that. It was obviously a very small number. Um, and you look at that large valuation, it's just natural to say, you know, it's so overvalued and, and, and you know, it's a ridiculous uh, hype stock that the market's you know just getting carried away with um and, and i'm much more circumspect and, and agree with grady that um this is a business that has a, a pretty promising future and, and it's the economics around what they do that i think should really excite shareholders and it obviously does given the valuation but um you know they've maintained sort of 50 to 60 percent revenue growth now for the last three or four years um and i think that the, the thing that gets lost is this is a 95 percent gross margin business now when you grow a 95 percent gross margin business those sort of growth rates over any sustained period of time, um, it's pretty hard not to make profits. Like you, you have to, you have to spend cash below the gross line, an uh, in insane, in insane amount of money to, to, to not just scale profitably. Uh, by accident almost um, and you know they have done that to be fair they have you know put on sales staff spending on R&D you know trying different products and, and bringing other stuff to market but the core success of that um, 
and that Novozor product is, is starting to overwhelm the rest of the business to the point where, you know, this year they'll clearly make a small profit. Next year, I think that will be, you know, uh, quite substantial growth. And we may look back in three or four years and, and the current valuation, you know, starts to look very, very cheap. So I would have it as a hold uh, because things can happen, especially with these medical device companies. It only takes one customer to sort of pull orders or, you know, something can go wrong and success is baked in there. But when I look at the economics behind what they do, I, I can clearly see why shareholders are quite excited about the, the path these guys are on. So let's say hold. All right. Good one. That is uh, pulling Nova. Let's then sum up the first half of the show. Beginning with our stock of the day, which was Life360, one of the last to report in earnings season. And boy, does the market like those numbers. Uh, last time we looked, share price was up about 33%. Um, so to our experts, well, uh, Luke's got a hold on it. Uh, look, pointing out that it is still loss making, uh, but that was a great result. Uh, Grady also a hold, uh, pointing out that uh, its uh, active users are growing. So got plenty of growth there. Uh, but uh, both looking at it as fairly expensive now, particularly where it's gone today. All right, so to those ones as picked by you, the first one being Whitehaven Coal. Uh, Grady saying, look, uh, certainly it's been a benefit because it's uh, moved into metallurgical coal. She's got a hold on, as does uh, Luke, saying the value is looking reasonable at the moment. There is some executional risk, though, with its two new mines. Made a group in the mining services. Um, yeah, Luke pointing out that uh, valuation's looking pretty expensive at the moment. He's got a hold on it, whereas Grady's got a buy. Um, seeing real potential growth there, particularly good it is in the resources sector and how many companies are trying to list at the moment and grow at the same time. In terms of real estate, we look, took a look at McGrath, which uh, deals in residential real estate. Uh, Grady's got a sell, perhaps a trim on it, certainly taking some profits on it, uh, pointing out the revenue is down. Um, and Luke pointing out that, look, essentially that's part of the pivot they're doing to the franchisee model rather than owning those outlets, but uh, Luke's seen a good result, good outlook. So he's got a buy on McGrath. Rural funds in the ag space of real estate. Um, Luke pointing out discount to book value there. He's got a hold on it. And uh, Grady really likes the dividend. And so anyone looking for income saying it's a great stock there, uh, there's a buy from Grady. And finally, Polynovo, a hold from both. All right. So let's uh, catch up with our uh, local, uh, well, our call uh, high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com. So in terms of the update, going to February, Challenger was sold and Santos added to the portfolio. Weightings of CSL and Macquarie reduced and added to AUB and Korean Energy instead. Checking in on its performance and uh, currently up more than 27% on a cumulative return basis since its inception, March 2022. So keep your request coming in, keep the call switched on to see what stocks our committee will be looking at next. Now also a reminder, our subscriber survey is open until March the 13th here at Ausbiz. And uh, it's a chance for you to tell us what you wanna hear from us and essentially well, we'll uh, offer something for it. If you take the time to fill out, there's an investment portfolio from NPC Markets worth $5,000, other prizes as well. To get into it, just go to osbiz.co slash survey24. Okay, let's uh, move to the second half of the show. We're gonna take a look at Eagers Automotive, Accent Group, Boat Longyear, Beacon Lighting, and Orthocell. Let's start with Eagers Automotive, uh, picked by 
Gwen uh, does sell new and used cars, uh, distributes parts and accessories, mm. as well as repairs and servicing, um, and also leasing, as well as having extensive property portfolio and investments. So, um, interesting to see what our experts then make of Eagers, which guided a $1 billion revenue growth ahead. Uh, however, share price, I think, has taken a bit of a tumble. Luke, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, this is a remarkably steady business. And, and I must admit, um, you know, I, I think while there's reasons to be concerned about the macro outlook, obviously, um, you know, they've had a tailwind and you see that in the numbers, a big post-COVID uh, boost, um, given the tight supply of new cars. Um, when you look at the, the growth they're projecting and, and also how they do it, it's just very smart acquisitions, bolt-on acquisitions, looking to move into new verticals around insurance and finance or deeper into them, I should say. Um, just an exceptionally well-run business. Um, about 13 times earnings um, on, on my rough numbers. Um, you know, they, they, don't, they didn't give any earnings guidance, but they sort of outline what they think would be headwinds and tailwinds for them over the next year. And um, they expect the, the, the gross profit on new cars to, to be a to be a headwind, but basically every other um, factor of the business to be a tailwind. So the valuation looks fine for me. You get a good dividend. I think you've got a great management team who know the industry. Um, they've they've uh, long term bullish on the future of EVs with a you know the distribution deal with BYD out of China. Um, this is one I think for the right investor, and it's that more steady, stable dividend style investor. I think this is pretty easily a buy at this sort of valuation. Um, you know, and and, and while, as I said, maybe those macro headwinds is is, is why it's a little bit low. Um, but I think I think this is the sort of company you back the management team to get them through any sort of short term issues. Which they actually have a great chart in their in their latest preso I saw, which is uh, breaking the company up into three-year spans and showing how it moves through different cycles all the way back sort of pre-GFC to today. So um, can't fault it. And I think it's a buy at the current valuation. Interesting you point out too, obviously that deal it's got with BYD, um, what they'll do going forward, given we've got so many of those um, brands coming into Australia now and just how uh, the dealers are going to, what sort of deals they're going to strike there. And aside from Tesla, which you buy direct, of course, mm-hmm. um, but uh, whether that is really the growth going forward, given it's obviously still slow in the EV market. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the biggest headwind to EVs, obviously Tesla pitches themselves at that more premium end of the market, um, is they are they are more expensive than your, than your lower end um, um, ICE vehicles. And I, I think that's where BYD comes in as the, as, as the you know, it's a massive player. At, I think it is the largest. It's bigger than Tesla mm. on, on, a, on a car sales basis. It obviously has that scale, has the battery production. Um, and I think it hits that price point to come down as a real competitor to, to traditional vehicles, which, you know, again, kudos to, to to AP Eagers. I mean, they are the largest player. It makes sense that, that you know, uh, companies would want to partner with them, but they're proactive. They, they get ahead of the industry trends, and I'm, I'm sure this is one where they've done the same. Okay, great. Everything Luke says was correct. Completely agree. It's a double buy. So right. straight to the investment committee. Um, we have been really bullish on this company for quite some time now. Um, Luke, you are correct. It's trading on a 13 times uh, P at the moment. So it is. that's a really relatively stable number. It's achievable. It's not overvalued in any way, shape or form. Um, with such a big company with a huge market presence, 224 new car dealerships across Australia, they've just um, done another acquisition i think it was in the last quarter as well so they're bringing more um portfolio on in i think it's regional victoria i'll confirm that later but the they've just got such a big presence such a historical brand such an australian brand and 
as you said before, the pro- the value is also in their property portfolio. They own the property that their dealerships are on. So if times get tough, they simply wipe out some of the property, get the value, bolster up their balance sheet and away they go. So it is such a well-run company. Um, having the having the BYD distribution agreement is huge. Um, there's the, the lower end uh, EVs are really where it's at right now. So Lee Auto in China soared their earnings soared 2,068% on the prior corresponding period. So from Q4 to one in this week's uh, reporting because EV demand is so high in China. Like I think there's a bit more to China because a lot of people think that they're in dire straits. I don't think they are. They saw, This company alone sold 326,000 EVs in the latest quarter. So it is a strategy from China, though, isn't it? It, it is, is flooding the global market. It the is. They're just flooding the market, yeah. and so understanding that it's just Lee Auto that that just shows how much of a tailwind there is and how much demand there is globally for these cheaper EVs. So having the BYD uh, partnership with just distribution is huge for Eagers and really puts them above the rest because, as you said, Tesla is the the sole. Uh, distributor of their own cars so having this is really puts them above a lot of the other competitors out there so um, yeah we really like the company their results were really good 50 cents fully frank dividend and all of the um, results were a beat on bell putter expectations so really like it goes a double buy today there you go double buy as you say great it goes to the investment community consider eagers automotive all right well let's oh, essentially stay in the retail space then yeah. uh the next one picked by bob it is accent group uh with a retail and distribution of well, footwear mm-hmm. apparel accessories clothing around 820 stores there uh did beat on gross margins um and uh, it's also, I think it's what, planning to convert about 62 existing athlete foot stores yes. at the moment as well, which is looking to unlock that revenue at the same time. So, Grady, what are your thoughts? Yeah, really like this company. I think I've talked about this one for a while. I'm very bullish on this company. Um, I It's a, probably my favourite retailer. We have a buy rating on it at Bell Potter. And personally, I would absolutely buy into this company. They really made their mark during COVID. They started a brand called Nude Lucy and this is where athleisure wear came to the forefront of everyone's minds because if we weren't buying clothes and uh, everyone was buying active wear during COVID because you didn't have to dress to impress at all. So every, and that, that's what Nude Lucy is. It's a really strong price point. It's really affordable and it's really comfortable. Now, the company also has really massive global brands at their helm, so at their, uh, sorry, at their disposal. So they work with Nike, they work with Reebok, Vans, Skechers, um, all of these different companies that are global um, superstars, really. So we really like the company. Then uh, they also benefit from revenue every year and start of the year with the back to school, uh, back to school funding government program. So the government gives a lot of kids um, X amount of money or vouchers to go get some school, some shoes at the athlete's foot. And a lot of kids, um, obviously parents spend at the athlete's foot to get their new school shoes every year. So that really bolsters and boosts their revenues early in the year. And they've got a good exposure across a number of different brands. They also target younger demographics. So they've got all the latest sneakers. Um, my friend actually works there and I was talking to her about, I think it's the Adidas Sambas or is, it might not be Adidas, I'm not sure. Reebok, I don't know. no. I, I have to defer to my daughter. It's one of those, but yeah, right. the Samba shoes in one day, they sold out <clears> 5,000 <throat> units and it brought in $900,000 in revenue. So I think, yeah, 900. 
yeah, because in one day the shoe sold out. And so I was like, that is just phenomenal because everyone on TikTok had them. So everyone had to have Sambas. So why, why can't you just do that online? Or is shoe shopping the problem in that you need to try them on? No, this was actually through online and in store. Oh, okay. So it's through right. their Star Runner stores yeah, and right. through their online platforms. It just yeah. went. So this, this company really hits on the popular really um they've got the latest shoes they've got the latest and greatest so everyone wants them so everyone shops with accent group so yeah we love the company have a buy rating and can't really fault it at the moment all right well <laughs> clearly you like that uh with a buy as well so luke what are your thoughts um i would have it as a hold andrew but not because i disagree with anything about the quality of the business um, i'm not into the shoe culture i must admit i, I can't <laughs> tell you who makes the sambas unfortunately grady um but, but it's an exceptionally well-run business and i agree with everything grady said it, it's it's probably a hold more on um even though the share price has sort of flatlined a little bit from its its highs back in 2021 and, and has come off a little bit on this report um it's not super cheap compared to a bunch of other retailers around that sort of 17 18 times earnings as a rough guess because you know, retailers sec first half, second half split can be a bit hard to, to, to bet down. Um, but you know, it's one of those ones where I think you hold it, hold it for the short term. They're having, a, as Grady points out, sales were resilient. Gross margin was actually quite strong, which is nice to see. Um, like a lot of retailers, a little bit of difficulty maintaining that cost of doing business, some higher leases, higher employee costs, things like that. Um, which meant the net profit took a bit of a hit. But again, as I said, I, I think it's a hold on that shorter term valuation and a little bit of the weakness there. But longer term, I can't disagree with anything you said. I think great operators. Um, they manage their brands fantastically. I think they do a really good job of making sure they're optimising their store network for which brands should go where and, and mm. sort of which ones need to expand and which ones need to contract. So love management teams who are that proactive around managing their network. Um, balance sheet's in good shape. Can't argue with anything there either. So um, I think it's a hold just on that short-term weakness. If you're a genuine long-term investor, though, I actually sort of agree with Grady. Maybe you're happy to sit through a bit of short-term volatility, weakness, some sideways action maybe. This is one you can always stick in your bottom drawer. Yep. Okay. All right. That is Accent Group. In fact, we've got another retailer coming up, so stand by for that. But in the meantime, uh, to our eighth stock. Now, every time I do the call, there is always one stock that's a bit of a mystery to me, and this is the one. <laughs> I've never covered it before. Buy it long year. Uh, people Raj, drilling services, equipment, uh, tooling also. Um, okay, Luke, over to you. What are your thoughts? Um, well, this company is going through a takeover, so you know there's not much we can say around you know from a, from a stock point of view. Um, but one interesting thing I will say is is this has been an immense capital destroyer um, over many many years. So this floated just before the GFC and on a um, adjusted share price for all the dilution that shareholders have copped in the years since, um, its its float price would have been nearly a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and it's now being taken out at $3. So, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of dilution for shareholders along the way. Even now, the debt levels are still very high. Um, as an actual business, they, they, they're quite large. They're one of the largest uh, mining services drillers in the world, but you've never seen that in the equity valuation of the business because of how much debt it's carried. And, you know, it's always sort of been a going concern for many, many years. So um, the way I'll frame it is this is a I think this is a, a nice outcome for long-suffering shareholders. Hopefully, you haven't suffered from the IPO. Um, but if you have been there for a few years, I, I think this, it's good to see this one finally move on and go into private hands, but it probably should have been for a while. So do you just hang on for that outcome? 
Oh, to be honest, I'd probably sell it now. Okay. I think the last I read, the courts approved that this thing's going through. I didn't actually look at the at the split in the price. If there's a few percent in it, or maybe there's a dividend to come, you could hold. But otherwise, I'm always a fan of you know once that gap closes to sort of two or three percent, once once the market's pretty sure something's going through, I like to get the money and then redeploy just on opportunity cost alone. Okay. Grady. Everything that Luke said, I agree with. <laughs> um, I actually don't know this company that well, so I I couldn't even say the name. I was like Boa, Bo, Board. I don't know. You, so, you won't have to for much longer. I won't have to because yeah. it's going into private hands. So no, it's about to be delisted. Obviously, it's being taken over. Um, the, it did go through the court. Uh, Luke was correct. It's just been approved. So it's in a deal that values the company at three hundred seventy-one million US dollars, which is obviously a fraction of its float price. But yeah, for long-standing suffering shareholders it's it's time to let it go sell rating on this one uh just because it's obviously about to go all right there you go double sell and move on from the long year we're moving on okay so i promised you another retail here it is beacon lighting and um david wants to know about it it does obviously sell lighting fittings globes fans even um, mostly with a focus on the Aussie markets then. And uh, look, I guess the question, given it's a retailer, although retailers, that resilience has surprised many. Uh, so does that apply to Beacon Lighting? That is the question, whether it's also looking to roll out more new stores as well. So Grady? What do you think? This is one that, as I mentioned at the start of the show, some retailers remain resilient in the first half, and this mm. is absolutely one that did. So we actually don't cover it, but I'm going with consensus here with a buy rating across all the brokers at the moment, simply because it's a really good one to have in your portfolio, um, especially after the first half results. So it was a beat across metrics and expectations across uh, what obviously the brokers were expecting versus what the company did bring through. They are on a rally right now, but they're with the outlook for a housing reform. So we've obviously got a housing crisis. The government's putting a lot of money by, behind uh, increasing the build numbers around Australia. So that's going to say that obviously demand is going to go up for different light fittings and different lighting. But So that definitely provides some growth runway for the company. But the other thing that I really like that I was doing my research on is the company invested in developing a trade side of the business. So electrician side that are in-house. So there's a lot of margins on that. And I don't know about you if you've renovated recently or any you know anyone who has but all of the service providers are really expensive so they're charging whatever they want now and good on them because if gone are the days of six dollars an hour for tradies yeah I well think. that's right if you're, if you're getting a quote for renovation double yeah. it triple it triple it <laughs> and then quadruple it again so <laughs> but it just goes to show that they're bringing the trade they've seen an opportunity in the market to combine their physical products with the lights the fittings all of that with the electrician side and the light fitting side so why not have both and it's definitely paying off for them so that's really bolstering their profits and margins so yeah really like the company uh it's a really good one to it's it doesn't look cheap but mm. the outlook for growth is there um for many years to come so beacon lighting big tick i buy it okay yeah. luke um, I'll say buy as well. Um, I think a lot of the comments I had on on Accent actually play out here as well. Um, you've seen a, a very well-managed business. I completely agree with Brady. Um, the push into trade has been fantastic. That's just grown like clockwork year on year on year. Um, they're pushing to online as well, slowly rolling out new stores. You can't argue with any of the operational stuff. Um, look at the last result, um, similar to Accent, that, that sales line at the top, resilient gross margin resilient, but that cost of doing business sort of 
hit them a little bit. So uh, net profit came back. So, you know, short term, I think Grady's right. It looks a little bit expensive based on uh, profits are, are down a little bit. But you look at the execution of the business and, and why I would have this one a buy rather than uh, Accent as a hold is I think this one is more resilient tied to tied to the trade outlook and, um, you know, Accent being a little bit more discretionary in that in that shoe space. Um, so the, the the outlook that management provided around new, new stores and, and the continued growth internationally as well, they're looking to drive. Um, I think this one looks really good uh, over that sort of medium to longer term. So I'll say a buy as well, Andrew. There you go. Another double buy double straight buy to today. the investment committee. So, uh, well, essentially two retailers. Um, there's yeah. another one with Beacon Lighting. All right, let's uh, round it out then with a look at Orthocell, uh, picked by Lachlan Regenerative Medicine, focused on, well, um, well it's got a variety of uh, products, but uh, with focus on bone and soft tissue regeneration and reconstruction, particularly with a focus on dental and orthopedic applications at the same time. And I think it's just it actually completed a $3.5 million cap raise at the same time as it looks uh, for further development and growth there. Luke, give us your thoughts on Orthocell. Um, yeah, I think Orthocell was a stock last time Grady and I were together that we, mm. that we had and we were, mm-hmm. we were both quite bullish on it. And and my thoughts haven't changed. I mean, you have to remember this is an early stage biotech. Um, that that always has to be the the overlay to, to your analysis about the stock and whether you would own it. Is it is it's just inherently risky in what it does. But there's some characteristics to it which which I quite like. And I think if you're willing to take a bit more risk in your portfolio um, with a, with an early stage biotech or or, um, or, or device maker. Um, this is the sort of stuff you'd look for. So they've developed a, a platform technology um, called CellGrow. Uh, but what I like about them is it's not just one product um, that then you're, you're, you're stuck with a lot of risk to. It's taking that platform and trying to find different use cases for it. Um, they've currently got two in the market, one called Striate, which is a dental product, um, and the other one called Rempli, which is a nerve regeneration. So um both of them are being sold through distributors. Again, I think that's the easiest path to market rather than try to do it yourself. They've got a subsidiary of Henry Schein, the, the largest dental distributor in the world for the Striate product. And um, uh, Device Technology uh, is a distributor in Australia for, for Rempli. Uh, plenty of cash in the bank. They did a small placement the other day, which uh, a little bit odd because I don't think they need it. But you look at the register they brought on, Chris Ellison, which... Uh, you know, I'm not sure what his <laughs> biotech experience is, but nonetheless, it's a nice name to have. Um, but then Merchant Opportunities, who is a, a biotech fund who, who knows their knows their stuff in the space, I think was the probably the more important name. Um, the, the board, again, has, has got some, um, you know, uh, really well-credentialed people. And it's that sort of qualitative stuff you look for when, of course, the numbers aren't here. They, I think they had a four or five million loss for the first half, but it's what you expect at this stage of life. You look for those qualitative things like who's there, what are they doing, you know, what are, cus- like, what are customers and distributors doing? And again, I think pointed out last time, Grady, that, um, you know, Henry Shine or the, the subsidiary of Henry Shine paid $20 million to get the exclusive rights to uh, the Striate product. So, there's something here with this business. Um, so I, it's one that, again, it's for the, the riskier investor and mm. it's for the long-term thinker, you, you know, period to period, things can happen and, and you sort of wait on news flow. But I still think this is a buy for, for what it offers and the upside, um, again, for the right investor, though. All right. We are coming home with a wet sale. Um, yeah, interesting, actually, you, you mentioned uh, some of the people attracted to this company getting on board and the uh, on the board, I should say, too, with, uh, in fact, Kim Beasley being one of them. <laughs> Uh, former deputy PM and a US ambassador. So presumably looking to open even more doors, particularly doors stateside for them. Yeah, Grady. 
Uh, spec buy on this one just because obviously it's uh, in the early stages as Luke said. Everything Luke said is correct. Um, we've talked about this one before. We both are very bullish on it. Um, just to spec buy, we actually ceased coverage of this because the analyst left last year, but I've still kept a close eye on it because it's one of those ones you look at and you go, oh, there's something really there. So um, it's a Perth-based biotech company. Naturally, that bodes like well to my heart. Yeah. So I'm a Perth girl myself. So I love the Perth companies. Love seeing things come out of Perth. Um, it's got its own facility in Perth that where all of their manufacturing is done. So it's not done offshore, which we really like to see. And that's creating jobs for the economy. So again, good old Perth businesses doing the right thing uh, or doing a good thing. Um, the company, obviously, they're expanding into the US. They're yet to get that FDA approval, but they are undergoing the clinical trials required to get Remplia into the US. So that's a big tick for us. Um, looking at the first half results, revenue increased 52%. So again, that's a really, really strong result. And But the loss obviously increased by 28%. So that just goes to show they are expanding their clini clinical trials. So costs are higher, um, but that's nothing to worry about. So they've got, as uh, Luke correctly said, they've got a portfolio of products. So with a biotech company, you want to see a portfolio of products, not just one product they're relying and putting everything into so with a company like this i definitely see a really really strong horizon in the future but just to spec buy at the moment because i want to see a little bit more all right a little bit more happening and uh yeah it would become a big buy when they've got all of the fda and re required regulatory approval but they are approved in australia mm. so tga definitely likes them oh great you're being a sand groper i'd expect you'd be parochial <laughs> i know it has to be <laughs> yeah i'm with you <laughs> All right, let's uh, sum up where we've been to the second half of the show then. And Eagers Automotive, yeah, a double buy goes to the committee. Uh, Luke's saying good valuation plus a dividend. Uh, Grady's very bullish on it. Well-run company, both agree. So, yeah, double buy. Uh, Accent, the uh, the retailer there. A buy from Grady saying fantastic retailer. Um, and Luke agreeing that it's well-run, but Luke's got a hold on it. Um, but long year, well, look, you can move on from that. It is um, about to be disappear. Uh, uh, this, well, Luke calls it a capital destroyer. Float <laughs> there, lots of debt, um, and uh, yeah, let's see given where the share price has gone post its IPO back a few years ago. Uh, another retailer that we did was Beacon Lighting. Uh, once again, double buy, and uh, although no, Grady's saying not cheap, but uh, both pointing out that good growth potential there, clearly. And finally, there, OrthoCell. Yeah, almost a double buy. Certainly a buy from Luca. Specky buy there from Grady. All right, that is our show. Thank you to our guests, Grady. Thanks for joining us in Bell Direct. Thanks for having me. And Luke, also from Merriweather Capital. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the weekend. You too. Good one. All right, just a reminder, too, of our survey here at Ausbiz. Open until March 13th. You know what to do. You've seen this before. We really would love to hear from you. You can... Uh, Fill it out, doesn't take long, and in the chance to there to uh, win a $5,000 share portfolio from MPC Markets, uh, other prizes as well. So go to osbiz.co slash survey24. Thanks for watching. We'll see you again on Monday for the call. This program was brought to you by IG, Australia's number one CFD provider. Trade over 17,000 markets with extended hours on key US shares and competitive spreads, all on an award-winning platform. IG, where traders are made.